Well, welcome. My name is Emma Cox. I'm with McDonald's. I'm the chair of the programs committee. Um, here with my two co-chairs, Rob Weatherald and Kurt Carnatz. Um, thank you to you guys for helping put, put this together. I've got to say, though, most of the credit actually goes to David Horowitz standing over here to my right. Um, he gave me a call months and months and months ago and said, hey, what do you think about data centers? And I said, okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, I, I said, how can we make this exciting? Uh, how can we make this accessible to everyone, right? Um, and I think that we found a solution. Um, so hopefully the program today will be that for all of you. Um, so I have the pleasure of introducing David, and David will then introduce the rest of the speakers for today's panel. Um, so David currently serves as the Chicago market leader for T5 data centers and is responsible for sales and marketing efforts related to T5, T5's Midwest operations. Prior to T5, David helped manage data center practice groups for commercial real estate firms. I think we have uh, a great panel here today that should know pretty much everything there is to know about data centers. So please uh, help me welcome David Horowitz. Thank you. Now I think I have this one. Thanks. Thank you, Emma. Thank you all for being here as well. It's been a pleasure being a part of Cornette over the last 12 months or so and <clears throat> getting familiar and interacting a lot more with corporate real, real estate folks and really hearing their war stories and lessons learned from some of their data center initiatives going on within their companies. Um, we've seen massive disruption in the data center space over the last couple years with advancements in technology and obviously the cloud platforms. Public data, <coughs> excuse me, public data center REITs continue to outperform all other asset classes, year to date yielding 31% returns. We continue to see record leasing years from the, the enterprise and cloud providers who continue to shift away from the internal data centers and adopt the outsourcing model. And design efficiencies continue to, to decrease construction costs. So after today, we have an expert panel here that I'll introduce in a minute, but hopefully you guys just all are a little more educated in helping your clients helping your customers when it comes to data center initiatives and understanding the solutions that are out there. So with that said, I'd like to introduce to, um, our panel today, Josh Nyer from TransUnion, Raj Vora from Google, and Sean Farney from Boston Consulting Group. Here we go. So on August 8th, 2016, uh, Delta experienced an electrical equipment failure with their data center. This caused a worldwide outage, disabling all computer systems and IT operations worldwide. Obviously, customer chaos occurred, but they also were forced to ground around 2,000 flights. And this one outage cost in excess of $150 million. In general, it's estimated that a data center outage for a company costs about $9,000 per second. 
And so this was not only a huge wake-up call for Delta, but also for other airlines who have experienced outages this year, Southwest, British Airways, United Airlines, and JetBlue. So these outages really were, were, were due to not maintaining essential IT equipment and outdated infrastructure within their data centers, which really is why it's essential to be proactive and understand the different solutions that are out there and not continue to put Band-Aids over your existing data centers. So why is this important? Well, everything we do involves a data center, right? So much of our everyday life revolves around an online product or service which runs through a data center. And people don't realize how often and how important companies, how companies rely on their data centers. And so how as real estate folks can we be proactive and collaborate with IT to ensure that an experience similar to what outage, uh, what Delta had with their outage happens within, with your company? According to Forbes, there's literally been more data created in the last two years than at any point in human history. And it's expected that internet traffic is gonna to continue to grow by 20% per year over the next five years. So what's happening is this increase in demand is causing these IT systems to overload. And so these outages occur because of the outdated infrastructure and not be in, this, in their technology not being able to keep up with demand. So as consumers, right, we've come to expect not just basic connectivity, but high-speed, instantaneous experiences everywhere we go. And so companies that can't support, can't support this will just simply be left behind. So everybody loves pie charts here, so I thought I'd include this. This was really just taken from 300 data center managers when asked, what, do you, what does your data center initiatives look like over the next two years? And as you can see, almost 60% say they will shift away from the internal data center and the on-premise facility and outsource and adopt the outsourcing model. And the primary reasons for this was lower cost, less maintenance, and more robust uh, network carriers available within these uh, data center facilities, the, the outsourcing data center facilities, whether cloud, co-location, wholesale, that sort of thing. So why are we here today? Well, 70% of corporate America still house their data centers on-premise. And as this infrastructure continues to get older and systems require tech refreshes, understanding how to approach these issues can be extremely influential for your business. So again, you don't experience that, these outages. This outage that Delta experienced really triggered T5's relationship as, as they're now a client of ours and decided to shift away from the internal facility and outsource all of their IT operations to, uh, to T5. So, and I can tell you firsthand, their collaboration with, between IT and real estate was really invaluable in ensuring that a successful strategy was created and, and ultimately executed on. We've also seen a significant increase in sale leaseback volume uh, from the corporate enterprise who spent a significant amount of capital a number of years ago and overbuilt these facilities and they're underutilizing them. So when they tr go try to sell them, investors won't pay these steep prices because they're underutilized and maybe that's only 25% lease after the, after the sale leaseback. And obviously keep in mind there's a limited number of a limber of limited audience who would ultimately take the data center space from these in these facilities. Case in point, HCSC in Dallas built a $150 million data center a few years ago. 
They ended up selling and taking a haircut earlier this year and sold it for $50 million to a data center provider. So how does this all relate to real estate? Well, the majority of, of data center landlords are REITs and tr uh, contracts have transitioned from service agreements to leases. They're obviously expensive. Real estate in general is already the second or third largest line item for a company. So it's proven that when real estate and IT do collaborate, that these companies don't overbuild as much as they ultimately would with IT. No offense here, guys. Um, if IT was just in charge of it, and lease rates are higher when they don't collaborate, when they do decide to outsource. The multi-market strategy and incentives piece kind of goes hand in hand, right? Uh, real estate understands how to develop multi-market strategies, leverage multiple markets, leverage different providers, and the server hugger mentality nowadays is not of being close to your data center, simply just isn't as important as it used to be. Uh, flexibility, uh, it's last but most critical. Real estate folks really know how to understand and have experience structuring flexibility options within leases so they don't overcommit. Uh, and, and you can project demand and needs future uh, down the road much easier. So with that said, I'd like to turn it over to our panel. We've selected these guys uh, mm -hmm. to join us, experts in their field, been around a long time. Uh, so I'll turn it over, Raj, and why don't you just introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about Google in the cloud. Yep, thanks, David. Uh, my name is Raj Vohr, I'm with Google. I lead our acquisitions and partnership planning for the Americas for, for data centers. So Google and data centers, we've got a long, interesting history. Uh, you know, Google itself is about 20 years old, and you know, right at the beginning, our, you know, our, our, our products are all based off the internet. So we, you know, our, our very first data centers were uh, literally built out of Legos. They used, they used makeshift Legos to make a makeshift rack, put it in in, uh, in a garage, and had a couple of servers uh, slotted in there. Uh, as they started to grow, as, as, as traffic started to pick up, uh, a third or fourth hire was a gentleman by the name of Urs Holtz, who's kind of legendary in the industry, walked in and said, this is crazy. You guys need, you guys need to start thinking about how you're going to house your data. Your products depend on it. Your, you know, your, your reputation, your brand will depend on this. If you don't have reliable products, if you don't have a reliable backbone for your infrastructure, this, this business isn't going to go anywhere. Um, so Urs really led the charge on trying to think about how to better house data and more securely. That eventually led to what we first started doing was uh, early days of co-location, using third-party services to, to house data when really there wasn't uh, a, an established model around that. But very quickly, you know, back then, there, we realized we're going to have to build our own to, to go to the scale we need to go to. Uh, so we, we started building our own data centers, and we are now arguably one of the largest data center builders, providers uh, in the world. With that, it means we are also one of the, we are the largest private uh, renewable energy buyer in the world, and uh, we have the largest private network in the world. So why do you care about that? A um, couple of different reasons. One, you know, I think w w a lot of things we've learned through the years of, of building data centers and building them reliably, right? One is uh, just the need for reliability. Um, it goes back to this idea, but we really still to this day preach the idea that our, our brand 
relies on our data centers. If we have outages, if people can't access their Gmail, if people can't access YouTube, uh, you know, it, it, it threatens it threatens our livelihood. It threatens, you know, it creates an opportunity for other companies to come and sweep in um, and, and, and uh, take advantage of, of the, our market share. Um, and then also on that side of security, we, we really value security. So we think about security at multiple layers, at the software layer, at the physical layer, um, at the access layer. So you know, not only do we, we make sure that there's, you know, the adequate levels of firewalls, but our data centers are, they're equivalent to a, to a Pentagon level of security. Um, and as we've, as we've built that up and as we've grown to, re to rely on our data centers as our backbone and creating that redundancy and creating security, uh, we realize, although a little bit late compared to Amazon, we realize that, that you know, there's a, there is a barrier to entry here um, that's been created just in the, the cloud market. As Amazon, to their credit, really recognized the opportunity for cloud services early on and started marketing uh, and, and developing a cloud platform. Really cloud platform meaning uh, allow the infrastructure that, that we have, that, that, that hyperscale providers, these large scale providers have, use them to create virtual machines for folks, for other companies to utilize and, and put their data and put their services on without having to go build their own data centers, manage their own data centers, staff their own data centers. Um, so we, we realized we had a tremendous asset that we could offer just in our data centers alone, let alone in our engineering capabilities and applications, et cetera. So that's been uh, one of the fastest growing segments of our business over the last five years as we've really begun to focus on providing uh, access to our data centers and to our, to our technology and our network uh, to, to companies around the world. And uh, at the arguably, there's kind of three or four primary cloud providers, us being one of them now, um, and, and really with the focus on, on providing corporations the opportunity to utilize our infrastructure, our data services, uh, to, to better serve their, their companies. But more importantly, and for this crowd, you know, I think what, we're, what I'm hoping to do is you know, answer questions you guys might have about not only the cloud, but you know, how to think about data centers themselves and how to think about uh, you know, energy, power, water, really, it, it, Infrastructure for data centers comes down to more than just the piece of land and, and the network. It's, it's energy is such a reliable, uh, such, a energy, su such a reliable part of our uh, security maintainability that, that we've really, you know, we really look at that as our, as, as our really core, core focus when we're looking at data center sites and land and other things come secondary. So without taking up too much time, I'm going to let the other folks speak and then talk to it more as we get into Q&A. Thanks, Raj. Josh? Hi, um, I'm Josh Nyer. I uh, currently work for TransUnion. Uh, we're one of the credit bureaus and information uh, for good companies. Uh, <clears throat> I've had the, uh, the pleasure to be able to work within data centers now um, over two different jobs. <clears throat> the, uh, the job that I had prior to TransUnion, I worked at HSBC, and I was the America's head of the data centers. Uh, <clears throat> that was uh, quite an interesting job when you actually work with managing all of your U.S. data centers and then you're added Mexico, Brazil, and Argentina like the snap of a finger and you think, okay, wow, how do I do this? Uh, the part that I like about data centers is that there's still some good fundamental, um, uh, maybe say groundbreaking levels of how do you actually keep it up and running and then how do you also satisfy your services that are running there? 
I think a lot of times people disregard the fact that a data center should be 24-7, and if you don't have the right team that's there to actually maintain either the data center or the relationships, you're gonna find out the hard way when it's not working the way you want it to work. So I was very fortunate to have worked at HSBC and had uh, quite a large portfolio of data centers, but also it included migrations and build outs of new data centers. And we had built out a mega data center in Volo, Illinois, uh, that Capital One now actually owns. And, and speaking to the haircut earlier, uh, you know, it's interesting to see when people overbuild and overbuy what they think they need because they really don't know. Um, I'm here to actually say that as you get into a project of what you think you're gonna need 10 years from now and 15 years from now, when you talk to the technology groups that I'm from, we usually say we don't know either. And I think that's actually where the dilemma starts, is that from the business and the drivers and who you work for and what they're projecting in terms of what data is gonna look like, it's really difficult to understand without knowing what the data storage is gonna be like and the size of the drives and the speed of the drives that allow you to then give your data as fast as you possibly can. So the dynamics of the job that we all as data center managers or providers have is really trying to actually help the experience be better. And a lot of times I find myself to actually be the broker or the interpreter of the what facilities is talking about to what IT is trying to understand and vice versa. I'm sure there's probably a few conversations in here where you have the, the engineers telling me he's gotta do it no matter what and the IT group is saying you can't do that this weekend or we're all gonna be in big trouble if you cause an outage, right? That's where you actually have planning and you have a lot of time to deliver I would say the utmost 24-7 visibility is your uptime in your data centers and your services. It's one thing for people to say my data center is still working, but yet my network failed, right? All of those teams really do rely on each other and they have to be hand in hand. Uh, at TransUnion, I was brought in to build a second data center to complement our primary data center because we had outsourced a lot of different data centers to support what we would consider a DR posture. And as our company continued to progress and we're no longer just a credit bureau, our business volumes have actually grown tremendously. And every time our business grows, that means more hardware, that means more data, that means more throughput. Everything actually continues to compound, but at the same time, the data center has to continuously run. So if you don't build out your data centers with enough foresight into what you think you're gonna have, and knock on wood, of course, I hope I actually continuously do that in the, in at least on the positive side, um, relying on some cloud providers is absolutely, an, an, uh, I'd say a great alternative. It should be sometimes the first driver. And our CIO constantly challenges me all the time. Can we put this in the cloud? Can we do this in the cloud? Why do we wanna keep buying all these servers? Well, he does know the answer. I'll be fair and actually tell you all that. But a lot more of it has to do with how quickly do you need to compute in order to be able to satisfy the business need. If it's immediate and you can't deliver that yourself, then you look for an alternative and that would be a cloud provider. If you can actually support it yourself and actually have the understanding of what your businesses need and have more of an agile approach from your business all the way down to the technology that runs that business, well then you have an opportunity to actually build it out ahead of time, know when it's gonna be needed. A lot of times people don't do that very well. 
And other times people will maybe buy 10 times what they think they need. And then the finance team comes to them a few years later and say, hey, what are we doing with all this expensive stuff here? And we're, we're not really utilizing it very well. And the last thing technologists would want to have is somebody from finance or even just from operations come back and say, we think you made a bad choice and we should have been involved in that in the beginning, right? So really a lot of why we feel the need to be here is to actually just help everybody understand that there is no turnkey solution for every single uh, system or every approach, but rather just to learn from what other companies have done and how they actually adapt and cope with it. But even more so is why are they going to the cloud? And is it a solution that you're going to the cloud with? Or are you actually having somebody else provide you your CPU and storage and allow you to manage it? It is a very diversified environment. Um, in fact, actually, I think we would probably need like a whole week to really talk about all the offerings that technology in the cloud can offer you. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I'm very happy to be here to speak my story in front of all of you. Thank you. That was great. Thanks, Josh. Sean? Thank you, David. Thank you, Josh. Um, hi, I'm Sean Farney. I, uh, I'm head of, of global technology operations for the Boston Consulting Group. And, and part of those responsibilities, I, I have about 105 uh, Class A office spaces sprinkled across 40 countries around the world. So. Um, I, I, I feel your, your, uh, your real estate pain in that regard to office space and, and hopefully can, can lend some insight into the, the management of that space on the corporate side. Uh, my past includes the design and build as a provider of data centers, so hopefully I can share some of that knowledge. Um, and just want to touch on the, the, the what and the why real quickly. Um, David had a really good logo slide um, a few slides ago with all the different things addressing what is a data center. And just want to reiterate that part of it because, I apologize, talking about data centers which are highly uh, engineered electrical and mechanical devices, so to speak, over your lunch hour is, that's kind of offensive. So we want to, we want to bring you up. Um, I, I saw the ravioli, it's really good. It, it will induce the glaze over, but it could be the content too. So we'll try to keep it light. But talking about the, the, the what, you know, what are data centers? Data centers are everything you're doing with that phone right now. I have teenage kids, so I'm real good at the like the under the table. I can I can see you out there, um, and also teach a class on this uh, Saturday mornings to engineering students at Northwestern. And um, usually it's about 42 seconds before their heads down surfing ESPN.com or something. But that's germane to the conversation because um, I call it the data centered economy. Everything we are doing on a daily basis, from Facebook to Google to your corporate email, to Instagram, to Snapchat, you know, data center, data center, data center, data center. All this stuff is, is data center. Um, from a numbers perspective, what's really compelling, if you look at the top 10 uh, companies um, ranked by market cap globally, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon's a little farther down, Data center company, data center company, data center company, data center company. This stuff is real and it drives our economy. So it's actually really germane to your day-to-day -day lives and our economy, really, really important. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the what. The why is, um, why are we talking about this and interrupting your ravioli and, oh, is that tiramisu? Dang. Um, that's really hard to compete with. Yes, thank you. Um, hold on, I'll stay up here. Um, it's really, really important to anyone who manages corporate uh, or other real estate around the world because data centers are a really scary thing if you don't know that already as a real estate professional. So be afraid, be very, very afraid. Um, I've, 
I've built facilities and spent as much as $1,500 a square foot for data center construction. Uh, these are expensive and unique animals and they can cause you all kinds of problems and they can wreck your NOI or your, uh, your balance sheet really quickly if you don't know what they are and how they act if they're within corporate space. So definitely want to address that. And um, I'll blame the, the millennials um, because they're so easy to blame and it's so much fun. It's all the millennials' fault. Um, us more wise, I won't say older folks, uh, remember the days 20 years ago when you bought a hard drive for $1,000 and you had to like spend your Saturday deleting stuff because it was full? Guess what, millennials don't have to do that anymore. So my 20-year-old daughter has like nine bazillion gigabytes of photos stored up in the iCloud data center um, that is never gonna go away and is growing at about a 40% um, kegger and that's not stopping. So that's why you have to be really afraid of data centers, um, not to be too pessimistic. They're really expensive, they're hard to understand, they're in your real estate space, they're growing at 40% and Class A office space was not built to accommodate the mechanical and electrical needs of data centers and you're in big trouble if you don't either realize that or distance yourself from data centers or have a strategy to um, set expectations from a cost and scalability perspective. That was great stuff. <clears throat> so sticking on that topic, right? A lot of folks in here have these office spaces. They're responsible for what they should do and they do decide to relocate and they have a small server room or a 2,000 square foot data center. I mean, Josh, you kind of just went through this a couple years ago. What are some of the things they should be thinking about when they do relocate? Should they go to the cloud, colo, move it into the next office building? What, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, sure. So um, I, I think some of the first fundamentals of choosing to go to the cloud or not is do you actually have a mature support organization? Are your engineers local to your organization or are you contracting them out? So having conversations about do you actually find that you have a fulfillment in technologists or are they kind of the behind the scenes, maybe in the back office, you don't even know where they sit. If you actually have, if you have a strong team that delivers their data center infrastructure, going to the cloud may not necessarily be as cost effective unless you choose to be, basically lose a lot of that employment. Um, the way I look at it is relocating a data center, a smaller one for that example, um, is, is really about what's the, what's the purpose that that infrastructure serves, right? Because you may find out, and I don't expect real estate people to actually drill down into that, but to challenge the technology teams and say how much of that can be offloaded into the cloud as a service, right? You may hear of companies like ServiceNow, they provide uh, a service that's in the cloud that allows people to just utilize their them no matter what. You don't care what kind of server it is. You don't care what kind of network connections are driven to that. I just want a service, I don't care. And then other times you're gonna say, well, we got a group of engineers that they care about what kind of servers that they are and they wanna get their hands on it. They wanna be involved in the design, involved in the throughput, and it might be more of a mission critical business service and you just may not wanna rely on a cloud to do that. When I say a cloud, it, there are people, there are uh, mechanical and electrical devices that actually make up that cloud, but it's also about the relationship that you have with that provider. And some of the most important parts that we have found is the, can I call somebody immediately and say, why isn't it working and how long is it gonna take? And sometimes it's a little bit easier when they work within your organization to get the right answer. And we all know that, right? When we outsource, we always have to cross that line. So 
um, moving a data center, and, and at TransUnion, we, had, we continuously buy smaller companies, and they have a data center or a pair of data centers, and immediately we start working on migrating them to our corporate pair of data centers. So we're not gonna be in those colos very long, or if it's in their back office, we really actually work on getting it into the enterprise uh, version of data center infrastructure so that we have the redundancy. You know, I understand redundancy is so important especially at the data center management side, because if you find out that you lose a power feed and you have a second one, well, you feel great because the next day you're gonna figure out, maybe not the next day, but you're not in a panic mode of having to get it fixed right away where you know your posture has helped you. So really a lot of times it's gonna be, are we sustainable in the space that we're in today and can we migrate later or do we need to get out right away because it's not a really good position or it could detriment our business. So. Uh, a, a few different takes of it is gonna be, if, it's, if you have your own data center, move it to it, but if you don't have your own data center, find the provider that you know you're gonna build a relationship with and you wanna build one with for a long time. It's extremely important, don't look at it as a commodity, but I really do believe it's a partnership. I think we all still have no clue what the cloud is, but that's okay. <laughs> um, Raj, maybe for you, the value of the cloud, right? We always hear Google Cloud, AWS, Azure, Oracle, right? What's the real difference between all of them and how should you look at that? So, I mean, obviously I'll, I'll promote Google Cloud over everybody else, but. Uh, no, the, I mean, the, the, look, they all offer somewhat different services. We'll, Back up to, even back up, it was a segue to the last question, right? I think, depending on who you talk to, I think a lot of folks will, would argue, and I'd be on that bandwagon that says it's not a matter of if you're gonna go to the cloud or if companies are going to the cloud, it's when. It's just a matter of when. I mean, if you think of all the, you think of all the really, the, the, the relatively newer internet-based, tech-focused companies, they're all all cloud and Netflix, uh, Spotify, you know, list, Instagram. The list goes on and on and on. They don't have their own data centers. They, they just they've gone to the cloud completely because they want to focus on content. They want to focus on on brand. They don't want to worry about the back end. They don't want and and, and that they don't want to worry about the infrastructure. I mean, the reality is, if Google was founded today, we'd probably be on the cloud, on somebody else's cloud as well, because it, it just wouldn't make sense to build and invest in that level of infrastructure um, again today. And, and because it's so mission critical, um, again, you know, Netflix had, for those of you who know, Netflix had, had their, um, was in Colo and had some of their own data center space, uh, and it was about four or five years ago, they said, forget it. It's just, they had an outage and they decided it wasn't worth it and they pushed everything to the cloud, um, and, and that's why we're seeing a lot of things go. Um, but there's you know, a lot, most traditional businesses are still heavy on, heavy on their own data centers or, on, or to some extent on Colo, um, but haven't quite pushed the cloud yet. Most folks are afraid of security, they're afraid of migration, um, you know, and you think about a lot of folks that have been traditionally involved in their data centers. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a threat, it's a big change. Um, but when you look at the landscape of AWS and, you know, the big three anyways, AWS, Google, and, and Azure, um, you know, there's, a, there's difference in core competencies. AWS is the, you know, they've been in the game the longest. Um, by all accounts, they are, you know, the kind of quickest to get ramped up on, um, very simple format, and they've got a very large swath of app applications and software layers that you could easily utilize. Um, Azure, Microsoft, 
I think their, their biggest selling point is, is folks are, that are plugged into to the Microsoft environment, that it's an easy transition to move everything into, into their environment. Microsoft would argue that it's a lot more than that, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the general thinking behind it, at least for the, you know, the, the way folks sell it. Um, and, and then ourselves, you know, what we really try and, and push is, is our, well, one is our, is our machine learning. We're, uh, we, really, we have the kind of cutting edge technology and machine learning, which is essentially artificial intelligence. And using that as a benefit for, for the data that you put on, on the cloud, that you can take that and use that to now, to, to now analyze and, and uh, crunch that data in ways that are going to be useful for your business in a variety of different ways. So, for example, um, you know, if anybody uses um, even iPhotos or, or uh, Google Photos, and if you take it out, I don't know if you realize, but there's a search function that you can search for a dog, and it'll pull up every picture you've ever taken that has a dog in it. Or you pull up, you type in the word wine, it'll find every bottle of picture, uh, every picture of a bottle of wine that you've ever taken. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of fun. You see what's in your pictures. <laughs> um, but it does that by machine learning, and you can use those applications now in different things. And companies are using them for, I think, a really cool example I saw. Um, is you can use machine learning on a conveyor belt. You can ha have it learn what a screw looks like. And then every time it sees a screw, you know, it, you can have a pick and place machine reach down and pick up the screw. So you can have a conveyor belt full of junk and a pick and place machine will recognize the screw and pick it up and move it. And you can, pr you can teach these machines real quickly. So today you want to look for a screw, tomorrow you want to look for a bolt. You can have it from day to day switch and what it's learning. So you can imagine the, the, the way those applications can evolve dramatically, right? And so for us, we really believe that that's, that's our secret sauce and that's what's going to make us different. But, but most companies, and, and, and we actually advocate this as well, is going to what we're calling a multi-cloud strategy. And that's not necessarily putting all your eggs in the Google basket or the Amazon basket. More and more companies are saying, we want a... Uh, multi-cloud basket, which could be some some uh, some instances on Google, some instances on Amazon, have that redundancy, um, or oftentimes with with Google, for example, you can pick your region when you're creating uh, uh, an instance on Google Cloud. So, for example, when you want to, well, traditionally, what would be on your servers, you can you can put it on a Google Cloud server by simply a few clicks of a button, literally like typing in a website. When you're doing that. You can actually pick where you want that data to sit. You want to sit in our Iowa data center, or you want to sit in our Oregon data center. Um, for a few extra dollars, you can have it split and have half of it sit in Iowa, half of it sit in Oregon. So you create your own redundancy without having to go out and lease and build up two different spaces. So um, you know, thinking about the, these as different companies, think about the, the, the software layers and the benefits they can provide to you longer term. But you also think about them as a broader strategy for how to create redundancy and, and integrity in your network. Thank you, Hamid. Yes, of course. Uh, that's really good. Um, and I wanted to resonate on something that I was thinking while Raj was speaking, and it's actually about the shift to where, uh, so our company, TransUnion, we're extremely CapEx uh, driven and EBITDA sensitive. So we are looking at capitalizing as often as we possibly can. And when we talk about going to the cloud, it's flipping it now to OpEx. And that OpEx just continues to go up more and more. And even software providers are doing that same thing, right? Before you were able to buy, like now you have a, a perpetual subscription to it and you're paying OpEx all the time. So you know, realistically, when you look at the company that you're in or working with, it's really going to be about how disruptive is that financial modeling going to be at the same time? Because it's... 
before you know it, as Raj, I mean, they've made, Amazon's made systems so easy where you could spin servers up so fast, not even using them anymore and still being charged for them because of the administrative part that kind of actually got a little bit behind you. So it is definitely going to be something to consider from the financial aspect of what direction people are going to go to and is their financial model. And, and again, we as a company are having to change that and having conversations with our CFO about it every week. How, how do we figure out the way to split some of this um, OPEX and CAPEX? That's great. Thank you. You, Sean, you're in the process of collaborate, uh, consolidating several data centers. You've been really on both sides of the equation, developer and user. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, so I'm the data center guy who's trying to make data centers go away. Um, that's the joke. Um, because uh, to my earlier point, they're really, really expensive. And after spending years at, at Microsoft and other uh, provider side uh, uh, data center design build firms, I, I know that um, no enterprise can compete with Microsoft and Google and Facebook and Amazon. You just can't do it. It's, it's a scale proposition, right? Uh, the cloud guys are, are building um, a million square foot apartment buildings in which you occupy one apartment. They can do that well at scale very cheaply. Um, the enterprise is, is building one house at a time. Um, that was a horrible real estate analogy. Strike that from the record. Um, it's a scale. It's a scale issue, and you cannot compete with with the, the Fang companies, the, the hyperscale folks, and the hyperscale folks um, are, are are usually bound by by audits um, that drive their infrastructure security framework, um, and and that's an area. Uh, you know, for years uh, the cloud was was um, not an option for um, this perception that the security is lower. But now um, that per perception is no longer the case. Um, the, the cloud providers, the hyperscale providers, are so far advanced as compared to the enterprise. So there, there's, there's, it's really hard to poke holes in the strategy. Um, uh, Gartner, which is a, an IT uh, consulting firm or advisory firm, says by 2021, uh, in the enterprise IT space, 50% um, of all storage and compute will be in the cloud. So everyone's doing it. Everyone in the pool, uh, it's cool now, and, and CIOs are now cleared to do this. And they are doing it for, for cost reasons, because you, you deleverage your labor costs. Um, but also for, for agility purposes, uh, I can deploy to the cloud, to, to the earlier points made, 86% uh, faster, uh, whether it's AWS or Azure or Google, than if I build my own servers and put it in a data center. Um, that's really powerful in the new economy where speed sometimes is, is the competitive weapon. So, um, you know, a couple years ago, we were at about 2% cloud um, um, presence. We're almost at 50, we'll hit 50% by end of year, and a lot of enterprises are, are doing this. Um, more tactically, or with, with a real estate spin on it, uh, in 2016, I spent half a million dollars a year globally uh, on power for these little data centers that inevitably pop up everywhere in corporate real estate that no one knows about and are hidden in a closet or a secret room or a storage room. Half a million bucks a year in power, and that doesn't include rent. Um, that's a very tactical reason to get this stuff off of your balance sheet and, and into the cloud where you have visibility for it, and it's done at scale by these hyperscale providers um, for a lot less money. That's great. So I have a question here about how should companies think about pulling off the cloud, but 
may get too technical. If, if somebody's interested in that, please please ask. I'd, and I want to open it up to some Q&A here in a second. But Raj, you touched on the artificial intelligence, right? That's Everybody's interested in that stuff. How's that going to impact corporate America in the next five, 10 years? Any other thoughts on that, guys? Well, I, just real quick, so, you know, TransUnion being a big data company, right, we get to see all the consumers, um, you know, what they're doing and how often they're doing it. We get a chance to report back to, you know, the fintechs and uh, big banks and whatnot. Uh, we're also in other uh, healthcare, government. Uh, for, for our sake, and, and AI, you know, we, we even look at AI uh, we are an analytics company of data, right? We're providing our customers with something, call it a score model, as uh, a simple way, but you know, we are analyzing all the time. So uh, an example of where we would look to use AI is probably even a, um, maybe a co-joint effort with someone like Facebook, right? Where we would be able to actually see what the consumers are doing on a daily basis with their lives. And then we get a chance to actually see what they're doing in their financial and more of their habitual lives that we see from the credit reporting agencies. So some of that AI, and I'm very interested to actually see where this is going to come from, but it's not just going to be about what TransUnion has with their data and what they've discovered. It's really going to be where other areas and pockets of information are then going to be brought together. So um, we, we, we do a little AI on our own of just saying, if a server starts to become unhealthy, let's already know what to do with it. We don't need to have intervention, right? So if a server in a pool of 20 starts to actually spit out bad information or something's just not right, it's alerting about something, our systems are already going to go in there basically uh, uh, drain its queue and just knock it out and then we'll go down to 19 and then let some engineers figure out what was going wrong with that one server. So we don't want to have any bad data. We certainly don't want to have any impact to our customers because one of 20 is having a problem and maybe we had to wait 20 minutes for an engineer to get on the phone to dial into it and say, dial, did I just say dial in? <laughs> to warp speed into it and actually then assess the situation and pulling it out. So even a very small version of AI is already taking place today, but really it's just going to be with all of this data and what's it actually showing the data scientists. Yeah, I mean, it just goes back to the idea that data is the modern currency, right? So you know, what you do with that data, I think the sky's the limit. I, I, AI is very, very early. I mean, it's, it's really just it's really just in its infancy. Um, a lot of it is focused around imagery and a lot of it's focused around a, uh, geolocation. Um, but those, those functions alone, you know, can open up so many opportunities for, for different companies and then to better learn their customers, better learn, to better learn uh, habits, to better learn um, trends out in their marketplace, whatever you might be doing, be it insurance, be it selling videos online. Um, you know, those, these things that just took, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours of manpower um, and, and then could, could even just barely tap the amount of data that might have been coming in or, or can be done in milliseconds now. And, and it's more a matter of, of finding the right applications to plug it into and, and, and working through different opportunities because I think the sky's the limit depending on what business you're in. Very cool. Thank you, guys. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions. Rob, do you want to open it up to some Q&A? Hi. Um, 
My name is Teresa Nortillo. I'm with Statebook International. We're a data aggregation and analytics company. Um, just recently in The Economist, they said uh, the new world currency is what you said, Raj, is data. It's no longer oil. Um, so we're very glad to hear that from a company standpoint. But my question uh, is more along the real estate line in terms of uh, locating and supporting data centers from a power standpoint, electricity and water. And now as I hear you talking, I'm thinking, well, maybe that's no longer, or at least future, uh, a future need. Can, can someone unpack that for me? If you're going 50% to the cloud, do we no longer need to um, site data centers, or is it a different siting process? I think your end customers could be end up being a little bit different, right? So, you, you know, it's it's if, if that trend continues, right? Again, seventy percent is still not using the cloud, so there's still a lot of enterprises out there doing their own thing. But but more and more, it is co-location providers that are out there citing. Um, we are already out there continuing to cite. Um, no, in fact, I think the opposite. There, there's, there is a massive boom coming, and if, and, well, actually, it kind of, is, it's here now, and it's the bottom of the hockey stick, I'd, I'd argue, of site location for data centers, um, and across a wide range, you're going to have your metro-focused data centers that are looking at being as close to they can as they can to, to, to marketplaces, and to population centers. You're going to have your data centers, which are going to look to be out in the middle of nowhere where they can maximize scale and focus on low-cost energy and access to utilities. Um, but you know, I think from a, I, I work a lot with economic developers as well around the, around the U.S. and around the world, and you know, there is still this feeling of well, it's not manufacturing, so we don't you know we don't know if we want it. Um, but I'd go back to this idea that we we like to tout that essentially data centers are. They're digital manufacturing hubs. I mean, that we're, that's what they're doing. They're taking power and they're taking water and they're turning it into bytes for the modern economy. And at that scale, at the scale that we're talking about growing, um, that you know, there has to be data centers to support that. So, you, you know, take whatever growth projection you want it to be, 10x, 100x, 1,000x. There's going to need to be data center capacity behind that, and those require physical locations now. There's Moore's Law and other things that will say, you know, we'll get more efficiencies, but the, even the efficiencies at a software layer and at a, you know, at a computer layer are not going to keep up with the physical needs that you need to simply grow data centers. So no, it's, there's a lot of growth coming at just the physical, uh, from a physical site perspective. But it's really, sorry, uh, I just want to add on, it's really us versus them now. Um, the Googles, uh, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon have teams uh, of folks. Um, uh, doctorates in mechanical and electrical engineering, PhDs in, in statistics and environmental studies. Uh, ping power pipe is kind of the general term for you know network connectivity, electrical costs and supply and, and water for cooling. But Microsoft had another 24 variables that went into site planning. And there's a lot of money at stake here. Um, uh, data centers were built in Columbia, Washington because there was hydropower at two cents a kilowatt hour. And $8 billion later, there were a bunch of data centers there. Um, so it's it's very competitive, and I would liken it to um, a, um, a, a, a stock trader, uh, an individual stock trader like you and I versus an investment bank. Be careful how you're competing and who you're competing with because 
there's a lot of money in play here and you'll see clusters pop up in North Lake Illinois or Columbia, Washington or uh, San Antonio or Fort Worth. Um, the Alliance Project, um, good job T5, in other places because uh, there's a lot of interest and a lot of money on the line here. So it's very, very important with, with growth, but it's a different, different game now. <laughs> no, it's just not. It's not. It's not keeping up. It's not keeping up. There's a lot of. A lo we've 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 we focus a lot on energy and grid and accessibility and it's getting better. I mean, part of the, you know, grid is one issue. Regulations are another. Um, you know, access to, to to renewable energy and moving moving energy from production to the site. Um, these are all issues that that we're grappling with. Um, my, my team alone, we have a, um, a group of vet folk, folks just focus on energy supply, bettering, uh, improving energy um, production, renewable energy contracts, just because it is, we think it's so far behind. But, uh, but you make do with what you got. I mean, you know, it's actually another reason why we'll continue to see more data centers, too, because you can't concentrate so heavily in one location because of uh, concerns about, about grids and, and We've got several major grids in the U.S., so you you know you, you have to allocate accordingly. Interestingly enough, Texas is a there's a massive boom in, in data center build in Texas and has been for the last few years. They have their own grid; they're isolated. Uh, it, it's a great environment for that. Um, you see the the rise of, of green uh, power uh, in data centers. Some of that is greenwashing. Some of that's actually consumed, but but wind um, and other forms. So a lot of innovation in the space. Um, but it, it, it went from, I think, less than 1% of all U.S. energy consumed by data centers to um, low single digits just in the last few years. Um, the facility I built and ran was 120 megawatts in one building in North Lake. That's, that's Naperville in one building. Um, so if, if you follow the curve, um, it presents some interesting challenges. But again, there's so much money on the line. Um, the smart folks at the FANG companies are and will figure that out. I'd like to just real quickly comment on this, and, and part of this theme is also when we say cloud, we, you mentioned co-location. I think that's actually very important, and T5, of course, being a co-location provider is one of them, is that at times you may just actually like follow along their footsteps and look to secure space within their data center. You know, We, we keep talking about the apartment concept that basically, basically means don't try to actually build out like a 1.2 megawatt shop when somebody can build out a 20 plus megawatt shop and just grab 1.2. And here's the reason. One is because now you're gonna try to like, you want the professionals to go find the people who know how to build data centers. That's the first part. And you also need to be in an area where people also know how to maintain them because they're gonna be there for a long time. So if you find a place that seems like an, it's an opportune area, it's got a lot of power, a lot of natural resources, but there's no one there to even manage it. So they don't manage by themselves, and I really wanna make sure that that's clearly understood that when you have a very reputable co-location provider, they're the ones seeking out the resources, but they're also looking for the people resources. I think they are equally as important, probably more abundant if you can move them there than you sometimes can't build a big power grid. So I, I think that the people 
aspect is absolutely an equal component in searching for data centers. Yeah, and just to close the loop on that, so historically, the hyperscale cloud providers wouldn't lease from co-location or wholesale data center providers. They would go out and they'd build their <laughs> themselves, but they can't keep up with the demand from the end users for the cloud. So the big trend in the last two years is now the cloud providers are taking space within the co-location providers. So that, and, and then now the data center providers can't keep up with the demand for the colo, from the cloud providers. So it's been an interesting evolution seeing that. Yeah, I tried to make that clear, but we, we actually lease space in co-location facilities as well as build our own because for that exact reason, we can't keep up, we can't build data centers fast enough in many cases. Um, and in some, ca in some cases, it's not economical. Some markets, um, you know, we wouldn't build our own mega scale data center because power costs are high, real estate costs are high. Um, so it makes more sense to, to co-locate uh, for that local localized demand that we have um, and worry about building in places where we need to. So it, we, we do have a blend of both ourselves. And, and again, it's all the millennials' fault because they don't delete anything. Um, <laughs> it's because of these things. It yes, is because of those because things. because of but these things right here. I joke, but just think about this next generation growing up has never deleted anything. They're coming into the workforce and they don't delete any email. They don't delete any files. That, there's folders of junk all over computer networks in the corporate world which aren't going to go anywhere because we haven't built the delete and clean up muscle in this generation. And it's a big problem in corporate IT and it's driving hyperscale cloud growth because the information just keeps growing forever. Absolutely. Can I, so you mentioned a couple of the big hyperscale uh, cloud providers. Is there enough competition amongst those? Because it sounds like you're all going to two or three different whether it be Google, whether it be Microsoft or Amazon, is there others out there? There are. I mean, there, there's, there's actually quite a few others, but there's, there, you know, the big three have a majority of the share. I mean, but um, Oracle plays in the, the does some, Alibaba out of Asia is actually growing very quickly. Um, you've got uh, Rackspace, um, and these are kind of, the, there's a next level of, of, of other providers, but, um, but I mean, from a pure, you know, heavy lifting cloud perspective, those are the kind of big three. But you've got others that play in it a little bit. <laughs> Is that not a bit concerning? I mean, obviously for you, it's it's great. You've got an oligopoly. But how about for everyone else that's out there trying to get a competitive <laughs> deal? I would say it was two years ago. It was, and as a as a corporate cloud customer, I was frustrated because. AWS was the only game in town, right? And then a, a funny thing happened. Uh, all this investment that Microsoft did seven or eight years ago actually started to pay off as Nadella supercharged um, internal cloud initiatives. And now we have a number two, a capabilities. Microsoft is a capabilities predator, which is weird in the tech space. Google's coming on. Um, and what it's giving rise to is not the individual cloud provider, but cloud provider brokers, like a Rackspace, who provides all of them. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I trust uh, pure greed and capitalism to, to solve this uh, issue. And there, there, there's a, it, it's an exciting time in the space because now uh, AWS kind of paved this road, and now everyone's seeing the money in it. And uh, I trust, uh, I, I feel comfortable as a corporate enterprise cloud purchaser that there's enough competition. More is better, always. <laughs> Thank you. 
taken down many companies or the academy? How do you address all that? Um, it, it's a good point. I've, I've got clients who um, contractually will not allow their data to sit in Hong Kong data centers now because of the, the uh, extended presence of the Chinese government uh, as it regards to, in regards to data privacy and security. So geopolitical is, is now uh, a very important consideration. I've also got clients who specify because of GDPR or other um, regulatory frameworks, their data has to live in, in Europe or specifically in, in Germany. Um, so yeah, throw that on top of, um, so yeah, cloud fixes everything, it's up in the cloud, I don't know where it is, it's magic, it's unicorns and rainbows and we all get to, to leave and it'll just get taken care of. Um, on top of that though, we, we do have these kind of scary uh, realities of, of um, security and privacy and data at rest and data transiting, um, and uh, that's a challenge for the, the FANG providers um, who have to show via audit and other certifications that they're protected against that. And so we're, uh, we're actually a multinational company, uh, and again, with all the data that we have, um, so most, probably in the last two to three years, we have had uh, the most engagement I've ever seen with a CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, and our General Counsel and his team because we have to really look at, as you mentioned, some of these conditions, right? So we may actually have a, a, a country or even just an entity in the U.S. that there are specific language in the contracts before we even purchase the company that said something about where the data was gonna be and where it had to sit and how it had to be handled. And so somebody comes up with a great idea and says, oh wow, we're gonna put all this service management stuff into the cloud and reduce maybe 30 servers in our environment and that sounds like a great idea until InfoSecurity comes in and says, what's the posture that they have? And they go through an entire third-party risk management solution to see. And then general counsel gets involved to say, I don't think you can store their data there. Sometimes people find out the hard way. Fortunately, we've got a very good, aggressive CEO who pays attention to all of that. But I have found that there are a lot of people who are actually hosting data in some type of a private cloud that's really not necessarily private, but it is to their own instance but nonetheless, they could be uh, breaking a lot of their contract obligations with their clients because their data, it, it wasn't even written then. They didn't even know what the cloud was when they wrote it, but you already started putting the data in the cloud, now you're in violation. Wait, is so, there a, a concern about credit information yeah. and data security? <laughs> I just actually got an email that uh, apparently there's another citing that Equifax unfortunately had another breach. Um, those are the things that- And that's that, your competitor, right? That's our competitor. Those are the things that keep all of us, all of us actually, I had no gray hair until I got into this, no. Um, but it really absolutely is nerve wracking, right? And you have to actually pay attention to every single thing. So as soon as something sounds like it's a great idea, let's go with it, you get with general counsel, get with your CISO, and find out immediately and just say, hey, this is what we're talking about in the, by the water cooler. Should we stop it or can we progress with it? Yeah. It's, it's uh, to be honest, part of the reason we were probably behind the game a little bit with Amazon was, A, we didn't quite, you know, jump on board quick enough. But then once we decided to jump on board, we, you know, our, our network, our, our data centers already were global, and they were already set up in a way to network globally so that everything in Singapore is also backed up in Oregon and it's backed up in Iowa, blah, blah, blah. Um, for the cloud, that didn't work quite as well because... You know, there's a lot of these, a lot of companies don't want their data in the U.S., for example. A lot of companies don't want their, their data in other countries. 
Um, so there was a bit of a, a race for us to figure out that first that software layer and then the physical layer of, of how do we start to ring fence um, these things so that we can meet client needs and then creating multiple zones, physical zones, so that you have uh, that, so it, you know, if you have a fire in one, in one data center that, that, that doesn't take down your entire, uh, all your data in that country or in that location. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, for us it took us years to get to where we could actually feel comfortable going to the marketplace and saying, yes, we have a physical solution to your security issues. Um, you know, the hacking issue, Look, I'd love to say I think you know you're 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 um, impenetrable with us or with anybody, but I, I don't think anybody could say that with 100% uh, confidence because technology and uh, you know there's there's a race between the criminals and, and the companies to try and keep up. So you know, so far, knock on wood, I think you know it's um, it's been uh, from a cloud perspective, I think it's been relatively you know. Um, Clear waters, but again, there's, it's just a race. It, it's, I mean, you know, it can't, you can't say with any certainty that it's that everything's going to be safe, no matter where you put it, in your right. own enterprise or out on the cloud. I, I think just to expand on that from the security point of view, just to give everybody some context, you know, if you think about, you know, just a few million dollars to install some security equipment into your data center. Right now, we start talking about building out a hundred megawatt data center and using a megawatt of it for individual customers. It sounds like a great idea. Power is easy to share. Now you get into info security space and say, now it's going to be you know tens of millions of dollars for all this info, uh, information security type of hardware. And does everyone need it, or does it meet your flavor, or does it make your sizzle sleep less at night? Because there's no way he's going to trust that equipment to keep the the, the data protected. So. It really still is very, I say, less mature in that space of if you are looking to absolutely secure your environment and you know how to do it yourself, you can't expect the, the cloud providers to just have those same solutions. They need the companies like us to come to them and say, here's what we would do, here's what you would have to do to get us in your cloud. And that adoption has happened. It's actually been, again, we're the consumer information piece of it. We keep it within our own, behind millions of dollars of, of security gear. But eventually, when the maturity gets there at the cloud level, uh, we, we will be looking to do a little bit more business in the cloud with some of our consumer information. But as of right now, our consumer information is actually within our own doors for the right reason. So, related question, I represent tenants and just at headquarters and some, some big office leases where it, it seemed like there was a trend toward outsourcing the data center, but now I'm kind of seeing it go the other way because with all the heightened um, global security technology issues and breaches and, you know, Equifax was a big one, you couldn't read the journal without seeing it, you know, for a couple of weeks, that people are really not comfortable. I'm just curious if you're seeing an impact of it kind of going the other way now. I, just from our cloud sales perspective, no. Um, cloud sales have been exponential, um, and I think we expect them to continue to be. Um, but, but that's just one data point. I mean, I think, there, again, there's such a big marketplace that to capture still. Um, but, and, and Equifax is still recent, so you know we may see the impact um, in the coming months rather than, than uh, you know to date numbers. I, I, yeah, so I think it's really fair to understand and just to speak 
very lightly about the Equifax part of it is that there were vulnerabilities to servers that were out on the web. Okay, this happens to Home Depot. I mean, it, it happens. It's just the fact of the kind of data. The government, I believe, they lost 250,000 uh, personnel records themselves. And we would think, you know, mentioned the Pentagon type mentality, or you'd think, oh, wow, how can they penetrate so many layers? It happens, right? It's, it's, and it's not to say that we accept that, but to your question about maybe sometimes retracting, yeah, maybe some people put more than the foot in the water and either they didn't get bit by the piranha, but they saw the piranha, and now they're going to pull out and say, hey, wait, maybe that posture is not right for us. We have already done a few things where we've removed out of a cloud provider, but it was because we bought a company, and we felt that our posture was just better in terms of service and support. There's no different in the servers or in their data center. It's just that how we support it and how we would harden it. So if there is a vulnerability and that we are the ones responsible to actually do whatever we can to remediate it, we take that value more ourselves than having to call the vendor and say, hey, how protected are you or how protected are we? We take that on ourselves. So I, I, I think that what you're going to find is companies who are all startups, they don't have a lot of capital and they don't have a data center. The cloud is a great answer. It's absolutely. And, then, and if we did a correlation of all of the new businesses that are starting that have technology and then how much the cloud sale, it would be, I think, a one-to-one -one complement. It's really more about those legacy, even some of the large mainframe shops. We just got off of our mainframe uh, uh, last year in September. Um, wow, it's just been a year. Uh, it feels like it's been a lot longer. Um, but, but nonetheless, though, it's getting us in that position where we can rely on more outsourcing providers because we don't have that big iron that we have to rely on, and it's very difficult to outsource. I mean, you can outsource some of those things. It's extremely expensive, especially when you use IBM. Um, but, but nonetheless, it, it absolutely is. There is some retraction. We do see some ourselves in our own company, but a lot of it just has to do with how well do people sleep at night, and if they feel better about having it under their own feet, I, I, I'm seeing them come back. Yeah, and I think we're out of time too, but even, it goes to the point of, there's multiple solutions, right? There's the cloud, colo, managed services, and some of those particular models, you don't lose control of what's actually going into the applications and the servers and so forth but you just have the security around it from a physical standpoint. You don't have to spend the capital to build that particular data center. So it's a, it's a good question and it's a, it's a long topic, long, long answer. But one more. Thank you. Um, I'm Wenji Kao. I'm a Canadian architect and also Oxford MBA student. I was wondering, can we know more about the operation side? You mentioned you need people to maintain the data center. After you invest in it, after you get everything built, what kind of talent you need and how do they maintain the service? Wow. I, I'll just jump in there quickly. Um, yeah, so I, I find, and, and I think it was actually some of our dialogue before, it's about how an organization restructures to better use a data center team and the technologists. And it's about bringing some of the, I'll call them the critical facility engineers, may not necessarily be the same engineers that you'd see in the office facilities, but more in that data center space, keeping those physical, uh, cr uh, critical, I'm sorry, critical engineers in with some of the IT teams uh, when, at HSBC, we actually did that 
we moved the critical facility engineers under uh, the IT side and we called it data center infrastructure management. So you had you know, engineers who managed the plant, you had uh, uh, engineers who actually managed the raised floor, all the equipment, all the connectivity, and then you also had relationship managers, extremely important, right? That's that bridge between the business need and what technology requirements are to then going into the data center team. So I call them floor managers. Um, the, the idea behind it is the team who runs the data center and supports it, none, almost all of that equipment is none of theirs, but they support it like it's theirs. And I think you have to actually find people that are absolutely willing to do whatever it takes 24 seven to ensure the uptime is available and that they have a very good rapport with technology. A lot of times you'll find where the facility people will just say, hey, I don't know what those guys are trying to do, but they're crazy if they think they're gonna get this done in a week. Yeah, they probably came to you too late. And that would be a, an indication that your relationship is, needs to improve. So really a lot more of it, I think the relationship management component of what the business needs to the technology teams, the technology teams into the critical facility teams, those three, there needs to be bridges between those two uh, spaces, those gaps. It's a people and process equation. Uh, from Canon Cone Electrical, I, uh, in the service provider space, I recruited uh, Navy guys, <laughs> veterans, uh, nuke sub um, vets in particular, because I understand the mechanicals and electricals really, really well. And at the service provider level, it's about adherence to process. That's how you guarantee uptime. Um, so process orientation and that type of, of thinking um, is really, really helpful, and veterans are great hires anyways, uh, but they tend to be wired in that way to follow process, which Absolutely. is what you need. Um, and, and on the IT side, um, I didn't want to hire enterprise IT folks because um, a lot of times they have years of bad habits uh, because uptime at a service provider level tends to be a lot higher and more rigorous than at the enterprise level. Awesome. Thank you, panelists. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate your time. New technologies. They were awesome.